0: Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host Karthik here with my co-host Nitin. What's good, man? Dude, I feel like my mind has
1: just been totally warped. Um, it's like every single day I want every single hour I want to like text you or text someone something about a take I have, and then the next game changes things completely. And a lot of people have been comparing the last week to March Madness. I think what people need to understand is March Madness, like the actual madness of like, you know, numerous games, all crazy finishes, only lasts that first weekend. By the time we're at the next Thursday, it's down to 16 teams. And right now, every single day, five to six games starting in the afternoon, it's just, it's been absolutely insane. And I mean, some of the most like enjoyable basketball viewing I think a lot of us have had, uh, you know, combining the layoff with,
0: frankly, really high quality of play. The March Madness point is interesting because, uh, like you said, March Madness is really the first weekend where it's that crazy. And even then it's only on Thursday and Friday. Whereas this is like Tuesday, you got a game at 1 p.m. It's like the entire work week is getting dominated by basketball. Yeah, zero productivity. I'm getting nothing done. Like the Kings game today was at 1030 in the morning. Like that's when I've got a lot of, I was on a call watching the game they're asking me questions. I'm barely paying attention. It's like, I, you know, luckily there's only one more week of this. But then even the playoffs, I believe, they're going to probably stagger it a little earlier, right? Because everything's on the I, East Coast. So I think
1: so. They can't play too late. Like someone's asking you and you're like, well, actually, Darren Fox has 16 points, eight assists right now. No, I, I, yeah, I think yeah, I called I, my forward I told... to
0: Darren by accident.
1: But... <laughs> you should have called him Bogdan um, <laughs> after the game he had. But I think that's – Yeah. It's going to end, like, obviously, unlike March of Adventist, there's no one actually getting eliminated except uh, the Washington Wizards. But um, for the most part, I just think the games have been that similar type of frenetic playoff type intensity. So it has that feel. Um, but let's start there because I wanted to get your thoughts on. I, I have a few ideas, but let me open the uh, you know, floor with this in terms of why I think the games are so good. The very first thing that jumps out to me is everyone has something to play for you know like the teams that are chasing the 8 seed are obviously incentivized because they need to you know get into that play in spot or you know if you're Memphis secure the 8 seed etc for everyone else there are some matchup components right there's no home court advantage but there are some matchup components of who do I want to play where do I want to shake out um but then secondly like these guys aren't Like, think about the typical last 10 to 15 game stretch of a a season. It's total malaise because you're not trying to play your way back into a certain type of intensity. You've already been there for six months. And now these guys are, you know, made the commitment to come and can't enter the playoffs lackadaisical because that's when the show starts. Like, they have to be ready to go, which means they have to use these eight games to get back into that true game speed, uh, not just from a conditioning standpoint, but from also like a, you know, just a effort and and intensity standpoint.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that definitely plays a part. I think the other thing though, that for me is really stands out as the reason the game's been so good in general is because we're, we're treating this like the start of a season because it's been so long without basketball. And typically, if you think about the normal start of a season, uh, there's a lot that happens in an offseason, A lot of movement. Um, players don't haven't gelled with their teams yet. They're still coaches are still figuring out what schemes they want to run, um, yeah. and so those first games are always sloppy. Uh, even if you're a good team, like uh, it, it's always a rocky start trying to figure out what are the lineups, what are the rotations. I think with this in the bubble, every team it's the same team coming back. Yeah, maybe you get a couple guys back from injury, but they they're running the same stuff. They're running the same things. Um, yeah. And the same roster, same lineups. And so even though it's been four months, there's some continuity there. And I think that is what's making the, I think, just the style of play a lot better than what we typically think of at the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah, I think about like the Lakers, right? Though that may be a bad example because they've been off to a very rocky start, I think, in this first four games. But if you think about their opening night this season, they literally swapped out their entire team for Anthony Davis and they get a healthy LeBron back. That is a much, much different team than what they ended the previous season with. But in this situation, they mostly have the same core guys. Yes, you're integrating Waiters and J.R. Smith. But, you know, to a lesser degree, does that matter? I think that's a fair point. One other thought, like, around that, right, is, is you know, how much do you think these guys got together during the break? Do you think that was actually happening? I know the Lakers, for example, were reported to be practicing at that dude, like that rich guy's house in L.A., but you think that was happening like around the league where like, you know, the Sixers or the Celtics or whoever were holding workouts to actually stay somewhat connected?
0: No, the Kings did something too, like something small, but it's all, I don't put too much stock into those things. Like the Lakers, for example, like that is more of a, uh, you know, LeBron and the images he's trying to put out. It's a, it's a yeah, very yeah. PR. Oh, I move. know. Or I think for him, though, it's also camaraderie just to stay close to the guys. I don't think the work they're putting in in those like workouts or those gym sessions are actually translating to what's happening on the court. In my opinion, they weren't perfecting like the floppy. Exactly. They're just they're just playing pickup, man, and just having fun. So I don't and I don't think a lot of teams did that. Like, those, yeah. they're just a few handful of teams that did. But, dude, you think the, the Wizards were getting up and scrimmaging? They um, were begging to not go back to this bubble. <laughs> the fact that they were included
1: was, like, the worst nightmare. Like, Rui was probably posted up in Tokyo just, like, miserable <laughs> that he had to take this cross-country flight back or cross-globe flight back. Um, the other point that I think is really important is, like, They're playing all the time. Right. They're playing every other day. And in some cases, they're even playing back to backs because they have to fit these eight games in a two week stretch. But the lack of home court, but not just home court, the lack of travel is a huge factor in these guys staying fresh. Right. And also in it staying even. So in a normal case, you know, you come off a of back to back like I don't think everyone understands exactly what the travel schedule is, but you fly that night. Right. You never stay the night unless there's a reason to, because based on the way the road trip is set up or anything like that. So let's say, you know, the Rockets are playing the Celtics and then the next night they're playing the Sixers. They'll fly out of Boston that night, get to their hotel at one, two, three a.m., whatever it is, you know, early morning shoot around. They're playing that evening. They're dead by the time they're in Philly. But yep. none of that exists anymore, right? Even if you're playing back to back, you have a 15 minute bus ride back to the hotel that everyone has. So there's no more, um, you know, disadvantages for the road team. There's no more like, oh, this is my third game in five nights, et cetera. And, I, I, and like then and of course, there's a the lack of crowd, right? Yes, there's some crowd noise, but there isn't like there's this daunting feeling where, you know, you're playing in Toronto and you go down six, suddenly that becomes 12 really quickly with the crowd going nuts. I also think that's a factor where the games come back to center because, uh, you know, there's just not these like external factors that are
0: pushing the outcomes out one way or the other. 100%. And it's not only back to back because if you think about teams that have a day off in between games, that's a day off to do whatever they want. Like, yeah, they'll have a light practice, but a lot of times these guys will go out, right? Yeah. They're fucking around. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing whatever. Right. And so it's, there's no room for distractions or disruptions to that basketball schedule now. And so I think that does make a difference. And, and you think travel, man, like back to backs are crazy, but these five game road trips where you play or like four games in five days, it's taxing. And like you said, at the end of it, like if you go down 15, 20 early in the game, You're mentally, these guys are just checked out. And sometimes yeah. you can see that, right, on the court. And I think the the mentality here in the bubble is a little bit different. And that's why we're yeah. seeing so many comebacks. A lot of games that normally, you know, a team goes down 20, and that lead, they just kind of sit on that lead the rest of the game. Right. And a lot of those leads are just evaporating. I mean, today, like, I mean, you saw Miami and what Milwaukee was able to do. Now that's Milwaukee, the best team in the league. But this is happening across the board, just all these big runs teams make. Um, a perfect example is Portland, Boston on
1: Sunday that Portland ended up losing, but they were down like 24 before they brought it all the way back. Now, if that was a real road game in Boston and they had made this cross country trip, they have been like, fuck that. Let's just pack it in and we'll exactly. figure it out tomorrow. Right. Um, and then, of course, you have to factor in that Portland's playing literally every single game is a playoff game for them. Right. Same with Sacramento. Same with New Orleans. Well, Sacramento, and New Orleans don't exactly look like they understand that concept. But, um, you know, same with Phoenix. And so there is an element of just like everything matters. Um, and because there's such a specific goal. That also factors in, right? Mm -hmm. If this was a regular season and you kept needing Memphis to lose, despite you winning, you had to catch up to Memphis. There's a different mindset because you're like, it's not really in my hands, right? But Portland knows the chance to get to the playoffs, whether or not they can catch up to Memphis in the standings is 100% in their control. Yep, They just have to finish in the nine or eight spot, right? And so that's another element, which is like, I was skeptical, frankly, on the, the, and we're going to get to this. But I was skeptical on like whether the play-in would work. I thought if they were going to bring this many teams in from the West, more of them should be eligible. But I actually think it's kind of perfect because it's just total chaos right now that every single game, like there's you know six teams that are all in play and they're playing every night. Multiple teams are playing every day. And every single time something happens, it moves this way and that way. So um, the last thing I wanted to add about um, why I think the quality has been good is – You know, this may be the most obvious one. We got rid of all the shitty teams. Yeah. Like, there's no more, oh, I would love to watch Giannis, but they're playing the Knicks. Like, there's two legitimately bad teams in the bubble. And that's the Wizards and the Nets. And the Nets beat the Bucks, So, really, there's one bad team that doesn't deserve to, like, even be playing the same sport. And... Other than that, like every matchup is good. Like take a team like Phoenix, who's 10 games under 500. That team is good as hell in terms of just like quality young players who are fun to watch and can win mm-hmm. a
0: game. Yeah. And I think there's something that NBA can learn from this now. They're never going to change the, the format they have today in terms of regular season 82 and then playoffs. But I love this idea of can you imagine if the NBA did this? You do 50 regular season games or 60 or whatever. Then you take like a two-week break, kind of like an all-star break. And then you chop off the bottom teams, like kind of like what we did in this scenario. And then you have like another eight or 10 games where it's like super intense. And this is, you know, teams can play in for the play and seed. the rest of the teams are playing for seeding. And then you go to the playoffs. And so there's this kind of middle tier of games where, because the problem with the regular season today is that it gets so lackadaisical at the last 15 games. Yes, there are a few teams that the seeding matters, but outside of that, it's a bunch of teams resting guys. It's a bunch of, you know, yeah, Knicks, Nuggets, who's going to watch that in eight, March, right? Yeah. So I know they never do this, but I like this idea of kind of create this little two-week tournament in which all the best teams are playing and you chop off the just the fat and and then go into the playoffs. They can't devalue the regular season to this extent, though.
1: That's the problem because and you're asking, television revenue and stuff like exactly that. Yeah, you're that asking change. fans to happen. pay for season tickets. You're, you know, you're compensating players, and of course, you have the TV markets. So that's the big problem. Now they've wanted to do a mid-season tournament for a while, right? They just we talked about this, I think, at, at length on a on a podcast, you know, a few months ago, but. The big problem with any of that is what's the incentive to participate when there's nothing really on the line? So is there a way they can work in what's worked well here into a new revised regular season? I think so. But they also can't tell like the Knicks and the Cavs and the Pistons to get the fuck out after 60 games because then the overall pie shrinks, uh, the valuation shrinks. Like Some people bring up relegation. I don't think there's anything more illogical in american sports than relegation yeah. <laughs> relegation more it more. just won't work it doesn't make any sense that's not how the team's are structured that's not how the ownership model is structured and uh do you really want to see an nba where the knicks and the warriors are not in this top league and suddenly they all the revenue doesn't contribute to the bottom line no that would be really really bad for the league um one thing i wanted to say about you know we obviously things are going well, you know, the NBA is spectacular. We don't need to, like, kind of, like, you know, jerk them off any more than we already have. But, like, the refing has been atrocious.
0: Oh, my God. Um, totally. I
1: was looking at a stat that was, like, 10 fouls more per game are being called than in the pre-shutdown uh, during this restart. Like, multiple teams have attempted 50-plus free throws, including um, the Kings opponent uh, the other night. Mm. Who was it? Dallas yeah, yeah Dallas yeah because yeah. Luca was just living at the line right and so I, I I guess look the refs need their time to get back to game speed as well but I really hope that's something they can figure out in the playoffs because I swear to god if we're watching Philadelphia and they call two ticky tacks on Embiid like five minutes into the game and then suddenly he's gone like that kind of stuff is really going to impact uh, availability come playoff time especially as things get more physical
0: And the thing I don't understand is I I thought officiating would only get better in the bubble because you don't have Uh a crowd to influence you. Because no, it's it's been shown that home court advantage, the only way it manifests itself is actually in officiating. It everything else is noise. Nothing is actually statistically significant except that officiating is always kind of lenient, more lenient to the home team because the home crowd is in your face, and the refs are human. So you think you take that element out, and especially because you can hear everything better. Like, you can hear the slaps on the wrist. You can hear um, some of these fouls, and I thought it would be a lot better, but it's been so inconsistent in multiple games. Like, not only the Kings game, but it just feels like – and I don't know, is it, it's all the same reffing crews, right? Or they have they yeah, it's the, switched it's the anyone same. out? Is it like a replacement no, ref situation? Because to me, it's unexplainable why it's gotten so much worse. You drop in statistical significance. I, I like. I
1: think you're going to give me like a p value next to like determine. <laughs> I'm surprised about free throw shooting, but I guess that these guys are pros, so I guess that doesn't really shift. But no, I think it's a fair yeah, point, right? Yeah. Which is like, the refs are. You know, everybody is screaming in their ear, and suddenly they're like, I don't know if that was a foul or no, that was you know that that was definitely like a slap on the wrist. I think it's weird. I there's look. My only hope is they're doing this because they're trying to create some type of guardrails of like, here's the way we're going to play just because there's no fans, just because you think you're playing like pickup doesn't mean you can go all physical and like, you know, call your own fouls type vibe. Like we're still going to play NBA basketball and we're going to do so by over on over indexing on it. Now it almost reminds me, remember a few years ago, the NFL had that like egregious, um, pass interference rule or hand hands to face rule in the preseason. Yeah. It was like, Awful, awful, awful. They called it like every third play. And in the actual regular season, it kind of came back down to you know previous year's average. That's what I'm hoping for. Because 10 more fouls per game is very substantial of an increase and really disrupts the flow.
0: Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's is it because they can hear more? Is it because they just have better? visible like why is it 10 10 more fouls i still don't understand what the cause is
1: but well so it, if you take away the fans maybe it's that the players and the coaches are yelling at them more where they can actually hear and pay attention to all those arguments and suddenly you know hardin gets in their ear or Giannis gets in their ear or you know popovich gets in their ear and then it's like oh, okay i'll look, keep a lookout for this
0: right that's true that's a good that's, point man.
1: that's the only thing i can think of and they're also calling more techs because they can pick up more of that language and the trash That's talk, clear. Not just, yeah, yeah. They're, with they're their breasts, quick to call
0: other. these technicals on a lot yeah. of the just what looks like very little trash talk, harmless trash talk. They're, they're calling tees on everything. That's um, what um, I'm
1: wondering if it's like uh, if it's just like, hey, we're trying to establish letter of the law before things get out of hand.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, the refs are like cops, right? They're trying to, they're, maybe <laughs> tough, that's not right compar- enough. To- <laughs> tough comparison in this time Tough comparison, of day and age. But, but I think, yeah, they are trying to establish a tone, a rhythm probably. Um, I'm sure they've been given some guidance to, hey, call these games pretty tight. Um yeah. And also, the, you know, I think the NBA is worried about, not worried, but this might be a stretch, but these guys are playing after a long layoff. You don't want injuries. You you want to yeah. make sure that you keep things a little bit tight. Um, and and play can get a lot rougher, right? Especially now, with especially when there's no... Um, the stanchion's gone. The the silence has gone. I think guys are going much harder than usual. And yeah. some of the pace is more picked up in a lot of games. So, yeah. so maybe that's the reason. I don't know. But I wanted, I wanted to mention one thing I also have liked about the presentation that I think they need to do more of. And I, I texted you this, but... There's some games where they actually pipe in a good amount of fake crowd noise. Yeah. Um, the Nets Wizards game, like God knows why I even turned that on, but it was a Nets home Wasn't game.
1: Wasn't that ESPN primetime? <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it was like the the 6:30 slot. Even ESPN 8 was like, "Ah, we're good <laughs> on that one." <laughs> um and it, what I loved about that game was they piped in a lot of crowd noise and the atmosphere felt like a playoff game and It's been inconsistent between games. Like some, because every team has control over their uh, their home audio, right? They play the different songs and different noises. But some teams have done a better job of pumping in noise. And at first, I thought I'd like just hearing the squeaking of the player sneakers, hearing them call each other out. I realized I don't like that. I want more fake noise in the building because that helps kind of up the atmosphere and intensity.
1: Yeah, and, like, honestly, like, the trash talk on the court, they're bleeping out the bad words anyway, and then it makes it sound more summer league-ish if you're hearing them talk. I'm okay with the crowd noise, but here's the problem. There shouldn't be this much variance on it. Like, if you are in control of your own team's crowd noise, like, what's stopping you from making it sound like, you know, Arco Arena in 2002, (laughs) like, versus what it sounds like in a normal situation or in Atlanta? It's like, I don't get what the, like, you know what the guidelines are is in terms of how loud can it be when can you play it like what type of noises or, or or different sounds or music can you play like are there rules for this because there's so much variance i don't understand uh, sometimes it feels like they play it at the wrong times yeah. sometimes it feels like you know they're they should be upset but then they're kind of cheering and like you know Because they changed the way that uniforms are supposed to indicate who's home in a way like now we're getting color on color like almost every game. It's it's nobody knows who's the home team. Right. And then when the crowd noise is so deceptive, I can't tell like what is happening. Like, are they cheering? Are they not? And then when does it become cheap? Like. You know, football teams get in trouble for this a lot where they pump in fake crowd noise, especially in domes. Like the Falcons have been accused yep. of this and other teams. So isn't this not considered like cheap if you do it past a certain level where, you know, it's almost deafening to
0: shoot free throws in? Or is it just I like, mean, I guess. They got to they have some guidelines. They got to cap it at a certain decibel level. I don't know. But that's easy to control. That's easy to enforce. But and it doesn't seem like there's any
1: rules in place because every team does this differently. That's what I mean. There isn't. That's the problem. There needs to be like. I don't know. Like if i why can't this just be done centrally by like, you know, uh Industrial Light and Magic? They do every they're in Disney World. They got Epcot center right there. Can't they just get the George Lucas guys to come over and
0: just figure this out? Yeah, but how about for the rest of the uh, the audio in terms of like the, you know, defense? Everybody clap your... like every team has yeah, their I mean, own kind of variation. Right? Yeah, but it's different. Yeah, every team. every team has their own, I suppose that's true like I can't like think like of any. Timberwolves when they hit a three, don't they have like a, a howling noise? Like I know they're not playing, but that's just Yeah, like, no.
1: The best example probably is like Miami when it's two minutes left. They say dos minutos. Yeah, exactly. Like that. <laughs> that's about all I got. Um, where do you stand on the virtual fence?
0: It's ah, it's dumb. Not dumb. You know, it doesn't oh, look bad. Don't be don't be a Grinch. Look, okay, here's the problem with it. And, and you know, people keep saying, oh, why are there some seats empty? And that's everyone makes too. jokes. Well, it's not empty because they couldn't get enough fans. I guarantee you that. It's empty because people's feed's cut out or people don't have the right kind of, I don't know, aspect ratios. people so just like, get up because they're at their houses. They just yeah, get yeah, up and so put that, just that feed right. So that's the problem. The seats are never full. They so get up because the their wives are
1: yelling at them and they got to go, like, cut the grass. Like, they can't keep watching in and, their seats. And you
0: can't even see, like, like, each person, like, they're wearing something or a hat or a jersey. but You can't see anything. You see these faces. They're different sizes. I don't know, man. I, I'd rather have it where, um, I don't know, they have, like, bigger screens and just show people in their homes, like, cheering. Uh, and I feel like less fans, but you see more of them and you see more of the cheering aspect makes – it makes sense than just these very small headshots of people um, and half of them are, you know, dipping. I right like up. it. I think it's cool. I think the empty seats are a little weird. Like they should just be able to
1: go on a constant rotation, like somehow sense if there's a body there or not. And if a person gets up, just flip it to someone else. So almost have like a wait list. Right. Or if it's like 50 seats, you got to fill. There's a rotation of 80 people. Someone's always going to be sitting down. I mean, I'm pretty sure they can get 80 fans or 100 fans.
0: Or just have computer. 10 default, like, I don't know, pe- something on a loop that's just random people, like, just cheering. Yeah. No one's I think
1: it's know. funny when the celebrities jump in. Like, Lil Wayne was there. Shaq was there today. Uh, obviously, Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce. Here's my question, though. And I have not been able to figure this out. I don't even know if you would know. But it's a live game, right? Obviously. That's... Yep. that's it's on some form of delay to us as, as viewers on even regular cable, right? Because they're bleeping out the there's always a normal FCC seven, five to seven second delay. I think they've extended it to like 15 seconds because of the cursing or whatever. But if you're in a virtual seat, I'm assuming that's being streamed, right? Yep. So how are you watching the game in real time if it's through the Internet, which is definitely more delayed than your TV, which is definitely more delayed than the
0: real live action happening? Dude, this was bugging me. I was thinking I, about this a lot. I was like, "How are these people reacting right at the same time when <laughs> this is on a delay? Maybe they're getting a different feed. What feed? It's it can't it can't be any it can't be any sooner
1: than it's actually happening." And then, no, like, it's not the Death TV feed. Maybe the NBA is the giving
0: them a, they're getting like a direct feed, like literally to you think the so? game. It must be right. They might have. They all feed.
1: have like T three internet connection or something that it all <laughs> works because like. Devin Booker hasn't even released the shot, and guys are like this. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like everything I know about streaming and all the problems we've all had with the internet over the years, I just makes 0. 0.0 sense to me. And I don't know anybody
0: who I can ask that question to. So I'm glad you at least are going through it also. It's it's a good question, yeah, because I was thinking about the same thing. But I think it could be a direct feed that they have. The NBA gives them a special feed. And you say the people with poor internet connection. That's when those empty seats come up. You cut, you get cut out. Like, they're not going to have anyone lagging. Um, so those are the folks that are just getting cut out. So they aren't actually getting up? I just thought they were, like, leaving their computer.
1: No, dude. Some of those aren't even, like, like, you're thinking it's just a screen of someone, like,
0: not there. No, I mean, it shows the chair. But, yeah, like, someone's sitting there, right? And, like, then they're not. Some of those are just people, like, uh, feeds that have cut out. It's just default seats. That are being shown. Uh, it's 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 like it's cute,
1: right? Like it doesn't I don't think it changes things like I think JJ Redick was talking about it on one of the 19 podcasts he's done in the last <laughs> week or so. And, you know, it sounds like he sees it, but it's not really like a big thing. Um,
0: no, I, and think, it, uh, I mean, I, look, I applied to be a fan for the the Kings Pelicans, like the second game they play. So I, I may be talking trash about it now, but next thing you know, you'll see me like on the screen, just like <laughs> <laughs> waving. But I it's I just think that it's a good idea, but I think they need to do a better job executing. Like if you're going to have virtual fans fill up the stands, like why are there half empty stands?
1: Other but, unanswerable question. How did the jerseys, how were they able to stitch the names on every single jersey so quickly? After game one, I guess people complained that they didn't know who was who because of the statements. Yeah. By the next day, they had everyone's actual name on the bottom of their jerseys.
0: It's not that hard to stitch names on jerseys.
1: That's the 350 players that they got to do this for. I think they screwed up the proportion of the jersey, though, because <laughs> if you look at guys like Kawhi or LeBron or Paul George who don't have this the phrase— their last names are higher on their jersey it's like right under the number and maybe they move the number up because there's no name plate at the top and so it's way easier to read their names but like i was trying to i was watching um the thunder game and we got gilgis alexander over here the name is literally written like basically on his ass and like that's where the jersey gets folded the most so you have no chance of reading what the name is anyway i don't see how this is a a benefit i would have just said scrap it learn the names over the next
0: 3 months and let's roll it's been 4 months without sports basketball's finally back we've had a week of intense intense games and all you can talk about is the spacing between the jerseys and the i've lost my mind the, the names on the, lost the my mind. numbers on a jersey like dude this is this is getting too much man i don't know what like why this I bothers think- you so much I think that but, <laughs> could be too much of a good thing.
1: That's the problem. That's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, and the, you know the other funny one? like There's some players, I think like Millsap, um, where he's number four and he has vote on the back of his jersey. Yeah, and so it says vote for good. Millsap, and so people make fun of that on, on Twitter. Remind or me, um, Dynamite. someone, I think Terrence Mann, had I Am A Man on his jersey. And it kind of made sense. Now it's a, I Am A Man Man, but yeah, there's it's, it's weird. You think they're going to sell those jerseys? Or uh, like with well, the freaks in no, the name,
1: they won't. But you can get them all customized, right? But you can't get the the top name and the bottom name, can you? Oh, you mean both? Why would you want both? Like it looks too busy. I don't like the bottom name. I think you just learn the names. I will say, I really do like when it's written underneath the name. Like, let's say, that, like going into next season, I yeah. think that looks pretty cool. Or it's instead just like, of thirteen George, like instead of above. Yeah, I kind of like when it's I I think
0: there's some alternate jerseys that do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are. And I think Team USA wore a jersey that did that, too. All right, let's get into the actual NBA. Like we spoke last Thursday after the opening night. It feels like we spoke three weeks ago with the amount of games and and just general storylines that have developed since then. A lot to get to. You know, I think it's interesting that we're basically a week in and one more week to go in this regular season. But it is starting to feel like teams are that are locked and are eventually going to be set in a position are starting to kind of carefully manage guys, right like we've seen Jimmy Butler miss time, we've seen uh, Russell Westbrook miss LeBron James miss tonight's game, you know Chris Paul like it's starting to happen where like guys are getting strategically rest rested. So it really feels like this first week was the best time to like anything we want to take into the playoffs is from this past week, right? And most importantly, the teams that are playing full force are are all the teams in the West going for for the number eight seed. So I want to start there. This has been a crazy uh, week just in terms of like shuffling. So when we started, Memphis was three and a half games up uh, (laughs) on the nine seed. Right. And there was a I think like a 90 percent plus chance that they would be in the eight seed by conclusion of the eight games like blowing a three and a half game lead with eight, in eight games is very hard right yep. they are very close to doing it so they're 32 and 37 portland is a half a game back san antonio and phoenix are two back of, of memphis and then new orleans and sacramento are two and a half back now portland is primed to take one of those two spots in the play-in. We'll see if Memphis can hang on. But what are your early impressions? And I want to go through their schedules for the remaining teams, but what are your early impressions on on
0: sort of how this race is playing out? Like, what's jumped out to you? Uh, it's been totally unpredictable. And this is actually what I really like about uh, the bubble because everyone expected New Orleans was going to take that spot. The main When I say everyone, I mean the mainstream media. The Spurs and Suns were counted out. The Kings were not even talked about. And Portland, people felt, had a good chance getting Nurk back and getting healthy. But they had a tough schedule, right? A lot was made of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing was Memphis had a very tough schedule. Portland had a very tough schedule. New Orleans had an easy schedule. What's happened is Portland is has played well and won big games. I mean, they won a big game today against Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, Memphis has shit the bed, and they still have... We'll go to the schedule, but I believe Toronto, Milwaukee, OKC, and Boston. It's brutal. Um, it's yeah. brutal. And, uh, and then the Spurs and Suns are kind of plucky where the Suns came out of nowhere. But, you know, as you mentioned, they're a talented team. And um, the Spurs are hanging around after LaMarcus Aldridge was gone and you'd think that there was no chance. They're... So, I mean, all this to say, I think it's been extremely entertaining. And I love this idea of a play game because – all five teams are still in contention for the play-in game. And that's what yeah. makes – and that's every night there's at least two or three of these teams playing, which right. is automatically a reason to tune in. So I think from that standpoint, it's been great, and it's definitely not gone like anyone would have expected. Because Memphis at this point, they they could potentially go 0-8, and I don't think it will happen, but they may even miss out on the ninth seed. Like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, look, firstly, I
1: here, here's the thing, right? It's such a fine line between going how you thought you were going to go and then because all these teams are playing each other in such a hodgepodge, like things change, right? Like In a normal season, 30, 30 teams, there's eight other teams people are playing. So just because you lose doesn't mean it's a win for the other team. But now in this situation, they're all playing one another. So you look at Memphis. Even though Memphis lost Justice Winslow before – you know, the bubble started, they lost three straight games, very, very tight games all in a row to the three teams directly behind them. They lost to Portland, San Antonio, then New Orleans. Then they lost Jaron Jackson for the season. And all of a sudden, even if they had won one of those games, they're likely going to at least make the eight or nine seed. Now you said they're going to stay. I don't think they're going to stay. I think they're very much going to go 0-4. And And the only team you could suggest, like, okay, let's just do this now, right? So they place OKC, who has something to play for seating wise Toronto, who is not locked into number two yet, but is close to it, right? But again, something to play for. Boston, still battling 2-3. And then Milwaukee, who's likely resting, but Milwaukee's bench is awesome. And this is a... You know, an injury ravaged Memphis team led by two rookies at this point, Brandon Clark and uh, I can't believe I said his name first, John Morant and Brandon <laughs> Clark. And you know, way too much Dylan Brooks, way too much Grayson Allen. Like
0: oh and eight's absolutely on the table. It's on the table. I just think and this is the thing I don't like about the eight games, is that there's so few games, and all of a sudden these last four are you're gonna see teams start to rest. I mean, Utah tomorrow is resting four of their starters against the Spurs. That That's a game the yeah, Spurs should have the lost problem. theoretically, and they're going to yeah. win, right? So it's hard to predict. I, I, I get that even Milwaukee's second unit is better than Memphis, but I wouldn't be surprised if Memphis wins one game. And then, like, I'm, I, I, I don't think one, they're going to keep an seed, but my point yeah. is, like, it's going to be hard to see them slip out of nine. If they win one...
1: You know, Phoenix would have to go basically Phoenix and San Antonio would have to go three and one. And then New Orleans would have to go four and oh and Sacramento would have to go four. and Exactly. of course, not all that can happen because they're playing one another within various games. And also, these teams aren't that good. That's why they're 10 games under 500, or at least they're not that consistent. So this is the thing that was like frustrating me when they're like, oh, well, New Orleans schedule is so easy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, first of all, there's the 22 best teams of which you could say like 18, 19 or Quality to some degree. Secondly, New Orleans is all over the map. Um, defensively, they can give up, a, like, dude, the Kings, what was the score at the end of the first today? 49-39. What? <laughs> You're back to against the wall. You give up almost a 50-point first quarter to the Kings who are reeling, coming off basically three straight losses. And at this point, you know, are playing for pride given the tiebreak situation and given their yeah. schedule because they still got the Lakers and the Rockets coming up. Um, and one one more against the Pelicans. And so you can't just pencil in any of these teams except for, I think, Portland, who now with Nurkic and Collins back look like a totally different lineup. I mean, this isn't new. Everyone's talking about this. But that plus Damian Lillard going to another stratosphere as far as just like his stardom. They're probably, you know, I would pick them over everyone in the West except for maybe three or four teams, frankly.
0: And I think a lot of people, a lot of smart people picked Portland to finish in that eighth seed. Um, Yeah. Some people are swayed by New Orleans, sure. And I want to talk about New Orleans because we'll we'll get to them. But I have a lot of thoughts based on what I saw today. But Portland felt like I think that them finishing eighth feels right. Yeah. Um, And then the ninth game, really, it doesn't matter who it is. But. If Portland faces, you know, whoever it is, Memphis, Sacramento, San Antonio, and they lose, Portland loses that first game, that game is going to be extremely exciting. And that's
1: what I want to see. I want us, no matter who the 8-9 matchup is, I want us to get to that game three. Because then it's all the chips on the table. Like, dude, these guys in Portland are going balls to the wall right now. You look at the minutes per game leaders. Damian Lillard is first at 43 minutes a game. And CJ McCollum is second at forty-two point two minutes a game. Freaking thirty-six year old Carmelo is averaging almost thirty-six. They're only playing like seven guys. Yep, um, they're going hard. They're going really hard for that. And and that was the whole premise of even coming back to the bubble, right? And it's kind of shitty that the best they can do is number eight, which means a date with the Lakers. But they're gonna you know, they're gonna give the Lakers a lot of
0: problems if they make no, it. No, stop, stop, dude. Portland. Okay, here's my take on Portland. Portland's a cute team. They're a cute team. They've got Dave. They've got firepower. Yes, they look, they look great during the regular season. They get waxed year in, year out. They're not going to sniff the Lake. They're going to get swept 4-0 against the Lakers. Or maybe they'll get one. They'll get they lose in five max. Okay. Like, all this Portland love, you got to stop with this Portland love. People today, I saw on Twitter so many people saying the Lakers are in trouble. They're struggling. They're two and two. Portland's looking good. The last thing you know, the Lakers want to do is face Dame Lillard in the first round. Tell me when's the last time Dame has beaten anyone that's actually a notable team. Yes, he beat that OKC team. Yes, he's had a couple of big shots against the Rockets. This dude is known for getting his ass wiped up and down the floor every time they play a good team. So don't bring this bullshit about, oh, Portland's looking kind of nice. They might be sneaky good. It's, Portland's it's not, not about, going anywhere. It's not about – okay, First of all, I
1: want you to apologize for the disrespect you just showed Damian Lillard. It's not about losing to good teams because, yes, he ran into the... The thing is, he ran into the Warriors. He ran into historic teams. The same reason why James Harden probably doesn't have a ring on his finger. I'm not saying Portland could have ever won the title, but they did make the conference finals last year. It's not like they were out here like in round one lost. Yes, they lost to the Pelicans. They got swept a few years ago. That's a black mark on Lillard's legacy, but... Him plus McCollum plus Nurkic looks awesome despite being off for 15 months. He looks great. You got Collins. You got Whiteside. You got Mello, And, and, and lest we forget, Gary Trent Jr. looks like, you know, best six-man of all time right now. Um, he's playing awesome. And, like, will it continue? We don't know. But it's not that they can go beat the Lakers, but could they take them to six or seven? I, I mean – would you be surprised if the Lakers and Blazers are in a game seven? What's the number one thing that the Lakers struggle with? Guarding small guards. Guards, yeah. I know. And then they lost Avery Bradley. They're trying out Alex Caruso, who, because he's white and balding, has now become just extremely overrated. He's a nice ninth man on a team. You know, way too much Dion Waiters. You know, we were kind of praising him last week because he played well against the Clippers. But, again, the Clippers didn't have Lou Will. So he's the exact Kryptonite that they would face then too. I actually think that I'm not saying the Lakers are going to lose round one, but you think about the chart, the course that they have to chart to get to this title: Blazers, Rockets, Clippers, Bucks. That is murderer's row.
0: Look, uh, I don't think the Lakers are. are I don't even think they're going to get to the finals. But my point is, it's. E- I think it's pretty. It's easier to scheme against Lillard in a seven-game series. On night-to-night basis, he's going to light you up. Fine, I have faith in Frank Vogel. I think Frank Vogel is a great defensive coach. Who's he guarding him with? KCP. It's going to be a team effort. Danny they're, Green. They're going to trap him. You know, uh, they're not going to let. Okay, one of the problems, the things I hate with Lillard is just how much space they give him, and he pulls up on those deep threes. If you watch the playoff games with the Warriors, they like they trap him much earlier when he's coming down the court. It's not that hard to neutralize that. Like there's no reason he should be going off for 40-50 a game. The Warriors like, had a different personnel set though, right? Like they had guys like
1: rangy, athletic guards and wings up and down the roster who could chase him, who could actually hedge out that far and still get back to their man. The reason why – actually, Steph Curry invented this, right, which is spacing the court all the way out to 30 feet yep. where suddenly you're just like running shot all over. You're just totally scatterbrained and like you can't cover all the people that are open once he gets by you. No. Lillard has taken that approach, and I'm not saying he's revolutionized or improved upon it. It's just a different version. Now, is Lillard the player Steph is in his prime? No, you won't hear me say that. And I actually think if you look at last year's playoffs, he wasn't that good in rounds two or three. McCollum was on fire, though. And I think McCollum is almost as elite as a shot maker as Lillard And the fact that they have both of them if they're firing on all cylinders. And you know they have bigs Whiteside. You can laugh at him, Nurkic, Collins. <laughs> those guys are all six eleven
0: and up. Who can at yeah. least and, get and, a, they can the floor. and they can stay on the floor. Um, and yeah. they can stay on the floor. against a team that plays big like the Lakers. So yeah, exactly. look, I, I'm not. I think Portland's the best team for that eight. And the, the most threatening team out of that eight seed. Like I'm not going to disagree there. I just I I, I can't say so they're going to get swept. Five. I'll say five. I got a low carry to wait. The Lakers are not looking good themselves. They'll lose in five. So, okay. So they got the Clippers, Sixers now, Sands, Bill
1: Simmons – not Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons, um, and also Bill Simmons. And then Dallas and
0: Brooklyn. I'm giving them – I think they go three and one. Same. Okay. I I think they lock up eight for sure. I I think it's like a – that would actually put them, you
1: know, put them in eight by a game and a half, which is not something I expected with a three and a half games. Well, yeah,
0: but I don't think Memphis will go on four. I think Memphis might go one and three or two and two. There's so no
1: chance. Of, there's no chance of two i two. I'll, I'll put one and three is like maybe like Ja goes crazy. One of these games. All right. San Antonio's two back. They have Utah, who you said is now resting everyone and their moms, New Orleans, Houston, and then Utah again. So Utah could be resting their players on both instances of playing the Spurs. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think you're. I think two and two is fair. Two and two is fair. This one will hinge on kind of how well Memphis does because so if Memphis goes zero and four and San Antonio goes two and two, does San Antonio get the ninth seed? I haven't looked at. The I ninth.
1: have to look at who has the tiebreak, but they would basically tie record-wise. So okay. then it would be dependent on who has the tiebreak. Same with Phoenix. Okay. And so we need to actually sort out not just the one-to-one tiebreakers,
0: but the three-way tiebreakers because yeah, that's going to start getting. Involved. It's going to get messy. But ultimately, I think what's going to happen is it's going to be a three-way. It's it's going to be Memphis, San Antonio, and Phoenix jostling for that ninth seed. I think New Orleans is done. New Orleans could go four and zero too. They could. They have a light schedule. They have some easy games, but um, they 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 just you can't, don't count work. You, you you can't count on them. You literally can't count on them. Can't count on them to play defense for like
1: four straight quarters, much less four straight games. Um, the interesting thing is New Orleans and Sacramento have played a different number of games than, than uh, San Antonio, Phoenix, and Memphis, so they actually can't finish in a tie. Yeah, so they're just it's like that. That one's easy enough. But with San Antonio, Phoenix, and Memphis, they basically all played this their even number of games back. Okay, so Phoenix has Miami, OKC, Philadelphia, Dallas. That's a pretty tough row. Now, Jimmy Butler's missed the last couple of games, but Miami has still been competitive. Um, mm-hmm. They almost beat yeah, the Bucks before Giannis went – I don't know what Giannis – his spin move in like that mid-transition phase, he was making Bam Adebayo, who's going to make an all-defense team, look foolish.
0: It was – I was just like – It's, it's moments like that where I'm like, I don't see how these guys will lose. Like, I just don't. When Giannis, like, sometimes he just amazes me to the point where it's like, how are they going to lose? But how is he dunking from the different spots on the court that I thought? (laughs) I'm saying his his reach is just that spin move he does into the dunk. Like, as long as he starts that so far out from the basket, he's still, (laughs) I don't know, man. He's, it was, it was incredible to watch how they put away. And I was watching that game intently because, you know, I was, I had the heat on the spread and it was looking good until. They they were favored – I think they were uh,
1: 9.5-point underdogs, and it looked great even when the Bucs came back. And then 20-0 run and good night, good night, Miami. Um, One quick thought on San Antonio that I forgot to mention. So they came into the bubble without LaMarcus Aldridge, and everyone wrote him off. Pop is such an innovator. He's now going to a three-guard lineup, not that different from – what uh, OKC is doing, right, with Schroeder, Paul, and SGA. So he goes Murray – like, you know, DeJounte Murray, Forbes, and and Derek White and now move DeRozan all the way to the four. And it's unlocked a totally different style of play for them. I think more teams need to stop being so, like, hung up on these traditional positional alignments. Here's the point guard. Here are the two wings. Here are the two bigs. Whatever it is, like, it's not – small ball shouldn't just be about getting small in the front court. If guys are shooting more threes than ever before, then size on the perimeter and in the backcourt matter less too, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter if you're giving up 30 pounds if you're if the guy you're guarding is just floating around by the three point line. DeRozan's played shooting guard his entire career. Now he's
0: the power forward. He's like the starting power forward for the Spurs, and they're playing really well. Yeah, I mean that threw the Kings for a loop in that first game because the Kings didn't really uh, change their their uh, lineups to account for that. And then you have DeRozan out there with like Bailica, like supposedly guarding him. And it just, it, it works. And I think these teams, you're right, they get too focused on positions. And I mean, the Rockets are a perfect example of this. It's, it reminds me of fantasy basketball where, look, you go small, you might come up one thing and totally give it up. And rebounding is the easiest example of that. But yeah. you pick up so much across every other category that you can easily compensate. And so yes, on paper, it's like, what are you gonna do if this guy's just getting Manhandled on the boards, but with the spacing, with the three-point shooting, you're unlocking so much more. Teams don't think about that enough still, and it was. I mean, it's a genius play, man. Like the Spurs, everyone I had to write it off. Like no one thought that they would make noise in the bubble, and here they are. So yeah, I mean, like I,
1: again, this the, the deck is kind of stacked against him a little bit, but DeRozan has been a maligned player. I think he's one of the guys that analytics basketball just targeted and decided to eviscerate and we've basically forgotten the value of just being able to get an open shot or make a contested shot even more importantly um and yeah it's like okay well they always play better with him off the court than on blah 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 and it's like he was on some really good raptors teams it's not like he was playing like you know zach levine they 26 a game and they lost 60 games like They won 59 the year before they traded for Kawhi. And yes, they flamed out in the playoffs, but you win 59 games and your best player is Jamar DeRozan. Something he's doing is working. And I just feel like it's just like, have we outsmarted ourselves to some degree?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the internet, the blog boys, soured on DeRozan, I think a little too hard to the point where he's become... You would never pick
1: him. I'd rather pick,
0: like, you know, uh, uh, Joe Harris over DeMar DeRozan. Because <laughs> he can honestly, shoot yeah, no, honestly
1: Yeah. No honestly, they probably would pick Joe Harris. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But in this in this style of – like in playoff-style basketball where this is kind of like playoffs – and DeRozan has flamed down the playoffs plenty of time. But I think in that pop system, he's not asked to do – I mean, yeah. he's been putting up some games like he's the number one star. But even though he's the number one player on that team, he's not asked to play like that in most scenarios. And he's still a good player. Uh, so, he—I mean—he torched us in the second half of that game against the Kings. But I don't know. I, I think I do agree, though. Teams need to get a little more bold. Um, and this is the thing I hate about Luke Walton and the Kings. Like, you can do a—you can get a lot more flexible with your lineups if you just play a guy like a, a six-four, six-five, six guy at the power forward spot. I don't know why more teams don't try this out. Don't even think of it as the power forward spot. Think of it as I need to get my five
1: best players on the floor. If they happen to be like right now, Denver is not forcing bad guards to play, right? Because their top three guards are all out: uh, Jamal Murray, uh, Gary Harris, and Will Barton. Yep they're they're going sides. They're like, this is the these are the guys we have. We have to play Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Bol Bol, yeah. Michael. gone the other Jr. direction, yeah. Yeah, they're like, it, it's not about we have to play a certain type of way it should be about okay we need to play the best guys that fit together positionally maybe that doesn't always make traditional sense but we need to think about outside of the box when we have limited resources um and then the other thing on DeRozan's, the other player that the basketball purists have really come from the analytic blog boys head about is carmelo yeah um Blog boys made Carmelo retire, essentially. Um, and now he's draining,
0: like, game-clinching threes in everyone's eyeball. And I like – you love to see it, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, you know I love Carmelo as much as I don't like the Blazers. Um, that's been one of my favorite subplots is Skinny Mello and what he's been doing. Yeah. Because uh, – and, and, you know, to Carmelo's actually finally learned how to play his role. And, and the Blazers, I think, do a good job of um, – they do empower him to kind of go one on one in certain situations, but at the same time, they're not revolving any kind of offense around him. So yeah, he's happy, he's getting his shots, but at the same time, he's playing within the flow of that system, and he gets a lot of open looks. Like I, they do such a good job with. Um, I mean, I guess you have a lot of shooters on that team, so
1: the, the Carmelo apologists do forget the one thing, which is he's finally accepted a role he didn't really accept in Oklahoma City or Houston. Um, yeah,
0: and so a lot of it has to do with that, which he just would not play that role when other teams asked him to. So yeah, but I love it, man. I love how well he's playing, and you know, whenever he's the three to the dome, it's, it's back locked. like it's, it's like it's two thousand nine in Denver, man. Exactly. Um, all right, we have we still have some of uh, three more teams. Let's just Are do we one. done talking about. I want to talk about Phoenix real quick. Yeah. Um, Mikael Bridges has been uh, apparently awesome. a lockdown defender uh, during this this time in the bubble, like. There are some stats. He locked down Kawhi. He locked down um TJ Warren today. No, no, so I was gonna get to that. He locked down a couple of big names. And then today, like this matchup was getting hyped of <laughs> Mikhail Bridges versus TJ Ward. And I was like, what universe are we living in that TJ Ward has become this like microwave scorer? And now <laughs> you know how Ricks they
1: do the upcoming national stuff? schedule? Yeah. It's like, you know, it'll be like Clippers, uh, Mavs, Doncic's face and Kawhi's face. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, Bucks, Heat, Jimmy Butler, Giannis. And then it's TJ Warren versus Mikel Bridges.
0: Bridges. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I just found that funny. Like, we'll get, we'll jump to conflict.
1: Phoenix in a second. I got to complain about this also.
0: When they show
1: those national TV upcoming schedules, why are they like so chronologically fucked up? It'll be like Monday. And instead of just showing – it'll be like Monday afternoon and there's two more games that night that they could remind me of. Instead, they'll be like on Tuesday night we have this game and on Thursday there's these two games. I'm like you're
0: missing like 20 games in between. I think it's because they're showing whatever's on that network, right? So they're not going to advertise an NBA TV game. No, it's
1: it's other – it's literally other networks. I'm watching ESPN and they're like here's what's on NBA TV and TNT. And I'm like why don't you – Tell me what's literally playing on your station in two hours. Uh, I, don't, I actually haven't noticed Pay attention that. to that. <laughs> that makes I no guarantee sense. it'll piss you off from here on out. Anyway, Phoenix. Uh, Devin Booker, not
0: just a good stats, bad team guy? Yeah, I mean, another, another guy the blog boys have eviscerated. I, I mean, I think anything the bubble has taught us that a lot of these players we've we've kind of glossed over or are showing up and I, I mean booker that phoenix team like even uh, in this last game against who did they play right not today against um they played the
1: clippers the pacers. game before right that's when he hit that no, I'm
0: actually know, say it was today against the pacers where they won on a 21-0 run i think yeah. with, like booker mostly on the bench like yeah. i think the whole team is really clicking it's not just devin booker and and that's one of those teams where like you love playing with them in 2k Because they're so talented, it's just they've never been able to figure it out on the court. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of nice and a nice surprise to see how well they've been doing. But Booker has definitely played well and shown that he can carry that mantle as the number one guy, at least in these four games he showed it.
1: Yeah, I think, look, they've been getting a lot of renewed shit about how they gave up TJ Warren and had to attach a second-round pick just to get rid of his contract. And now TJ Warren's been balling out, not just in, in Orlando. He's been playing well all season. Yep. Before, they kind of had this rap of being like a selfish me-first scorer. And I've, given, I've said that to him about him on this podcast. Like, I didn't think he was legit. So I almost have, you know, that's a little mea culpa for me. But what it allowed them to do was create enough cap room to get – Ricky Rubio and re-signed Kelly Oubre, who I think are two players who fit better against Devin Booker's skill set. Like T.J. Warren was too duplicative of what Booker did, and then in general, there was just too many guys who were not necessarily tailored to playing winning basketball around what made Booker great. Which you know, frankly, is kind of like a laissez-faire approach to defense, but an elite scorer, uh, elite shooter. And a really improving playmaker. And so Rubio is actually the perfect guard next to a guy like that. Um, Mikhail bridge Bridges, you mentioned, Oubre, uh, Dario Saric, and of course, DeAndre Ayton, who was suspended the first 25 games. And you know this all too well, but him and Bagley were the two guys chosen in front of Doncic. Yep. And so Bagley is is really nowhere to hide. But Ayton's played well enough to acquit himself to some degree of that pick. I mean, it's still egregious that they didn't pick Luca, but he's actually a pretty good player and I think is going to be like
0: an all-star soon in the league. And he's turning into more of a two-way player as well, which was the yeah. biggest kind of weakness coming in. So, right. Um, they got a bright future. I mean, if you told me, would I rather be the Kings or the Suns moving forward? I mean, I think all season long, you'd probably say Suns anyway, but yeah. now it's like crystal clear. No matter how much they struggled earlier this year, they uh, they look like they might be on the right path, but it's been four games, so don't want to overreact too hard. It's a small and also, scenario. how do
1: you go from tenth to third, right, or tenth to second, where you're actually starting to compete for titles? You're not just a good, a nice. Story. Yeah, that that's the
0: hard leap, right? Like we, we, they haven't even made the playoffs yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But right, yeah. this is the first time
1: Booker's ever won thirty
0: games in his career. Yeah. Um. Okay.
1: Do you want to get into New Orleans and Sacramento in detail? Do you have any like? Thoughts on Sacramento and how much
0: they've disappointed you and ripped your heart out? <laughs> I mean, they I, I this is like the worst possible thing that could have I, I couldn't imagine a worse start for Sacramento. Um, and the, I mean, the problem is, dude, how do you lose by 40 to Orlando or you're down 40 to Orlando? Like, I don't care how good of a shooting night they've had. This isn't Golden State like Durant Warriors. This is the Orlando magic and <laughs> Aaron Gordon magic. And it's inexcusable. And and Luke Walton has proven to be just a terrible, terrible coach. Buddy Hield is a one-trick pony. Um, they need Fox has has really become a true star. Like we knew that, but dude, these last couple of games he has looked amazing. And he's done things like I've always thought his comp was Wall. And um, obviously, just getting to Wall's level is a big deal. Like as much as shit as Wall gets, like he's multi, like five-time All Star. Right, he's been All NBA. Um, Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like the way he's playing right now, like I don't remember Wall ever playing like this uh, at this stage in his career. Maybe a little bit later, right? Where he started taking over games, yeah. but he's already on a trajectory where he can be better. And so I think they need to blow up the roster outside of Fox and maybe Bogey, but even him, like he's hot and cold. Like the problem with these guys are none of them are consistent. So I don't know what I'm, I'm the the rest of these games don't really matter. I, I don't think they there's a very small, slim chance they can even make it. But they're kind of in no man's land, man. Like, I, I think that they're probably bottom three franchise in terms of future outlook, despite having Fox.
1: I'm not going to do too much of what I told you so because I don't want to beat a good man when he's down. But you remember when Heald signed the extension in the offseason? And I said the biggest risk that the Kings face is committing to the wrong young core and locking themselves into guys who are just not that good. Do you remember that? I do. I do. And I said it wasn't a Fox question. I, in fact, said that. I said, I believe in Fox. But you're talking about Bagley. You're talking about Heald. You're talking about Bogdanovich. And all of these guys are good players in a vacuum and can be productive. But those are your four. It's actually very similar to what we just said with Phoenix. Last year, Sacramento finished ninth, right? Everyone thought they were going to build off that season into a playoff berth or or, or at least like a plus 500 season. I think the same expectations will happen for for Phoenix next year. But it is really hard to go from 9 to 5 or 9 to 4. And Sacramento found that out the hard way. Yes, they had injuries and look, I think they were kind of disadvantaged in the bubble because they had a bunch of coronavirus tests so they couldn't get you know, they didn't have Barnes, they didn't have Len, they didn't have Jabari Parker like No. And then Bagley got hurt. Like it was kind of like a bad stretch of luck. But then you go out and lose by forty to Orlando, and it's like, okay, this team isn't locked in like they should be given the stakes.
0: Not locked in, and that that falls on the coach. It falls a little bit on the players, but it falls on the coach. And, and Buddy Heel, dude, his contract is movable. Like it's movable. It's movable. Uh, yeah, so it bro. doesn't matter, right? It's still something you can ship. It's not forty million a year. It's twenty million a year, like, and but not that's even that. Thing.
1: We're playing. We're not playing two K, right? They gave him that contract because they believe in him. Divac and, and Stojakovic or whoever's running that front office aren't just going to be like shipping pieces around because it didn't work one year. Just the same way they've they kept it going with all these other guys that they were like, let's try to see if it works. They're going to do the same with Heald. Whereas you're looking at as like this guy is a marksman from deep but does nothing else to make the team better on the court. They're going to be like, well, he's, he's still – well, he's, he's not even that young. He's like 27 or 28 now, but – They're going to say, let's try to run it back again, full health, Bagley's back on the court. And now it's potentially another
0: year gone. No, so that's not the problem. The problem is, uh, I mean, they trade healed in a heartbeat. You think so? No, but here's the problem. They're not going to fire Vladdy or Luke. And even if they wanted to, they wouldn't out of financial reasons because, uh, you know, they fired Jaeger not too long ago. (laughs)
1: Last year.
0: Isn't this Luke's first season? Yeah, this is Luke's first. Exactly. So they can't afford to just fire Vladi and fire Luke. they're going to keep him around for at least one more year. And Vladi's not going to make his mistake. He's going to run back this team, right? It's shipping heel. Like, that's desperation. move. So I think the reason it's it's because we're going to end up having the same management, Um, that's going to be what bites us. But I don't know. The writing's on the wall for this team. I, I don't think this is the core that's going to go anywhere but but your like, your whole point about committing money to buddy look a lot of the money for the kings is tied up in Harrison Barnes and Kojo and um these all these contracts that are you know only another year like they're all declining in another year they'll be off the books so it's not like we're just you're we're, not cash strapped but didn't Barnes just out. sign like 4 for 88 he's yeah, there for the long haul it's declining over the next few years um, and then everyone else, all the I hope they paid like 81 eighty one of that this year. Yeah, so I, look, they're not in a good position. That's fine. We know what we have in Fox. Um, I'm hoping that Bagley. You know, here's what I, I worry about. Here's what I worry about. We wasted Wall's
1: entire prime. Right, he ended up getting hurt, so the prime even got cut shorter than it probably would have. But the team that we put around him in his peak All Star years. Was terrible. He never played with a single all star since until Beale made it in 2018. And the problem with these like athletic speed guys is that they don't sustain. Fox is a better shooter already than Wall is or ever was. And so that's a good thing. And I think he's only going to get better and he seems to be a hard worker. But I worry that like the time to capitalize on Fox is basically the window is like starting to open. And you can't sit on things a year. I Actually, you know, a separate conversation, but Philadelphia is in a similar predicament where Joel Embiid is ready to win a title right now, right? But everything else around him may not be right. But how many more years are you going to give up of the core when the window opens and shuts just that fast? We've seen that with a lot of young –
0: I mean Fox is 21 and Wall was also young, right, obviously. But like Fox just turned 21. He's got six years until he hits his, his prime, and at that point, if we haven't put it together a good enough team around him, he's going to leave anyway. Like I don't think that it's going to be we're going to have him for eight or nine years trying to put together a team. Like in this day and age, these guys are, are they're going to force year eleven with the Wizards. I'm yeah, but that, but that you. was a that's a bygone era, right? He started in two thousand ten. I think now you're not going to see players stay for eight nine years and not go anywhere.
1: Maybe um, the that's team,
0: possible especially out west where he's going to have less success than wall
1: had in the east despite you know despite not being as good yeah you can
0: talk yourself into the wall wizards where they finish as a four seed or a five seed in the east but in the west you're never going to crack you know the top six right all right um, the so before we wrap up
1: and we're going to talk a ton next week on all the good teams right the lakers they've looked a little shaky offense is a bit of a mess you know, the Bucks, the Sixers, I don't know what the hell the Sixers are going to do without Simmons, um, you know, the Celtics club. But I think all those teams are going to come next week. We ha- we're going to have to like look ahead in the pre- playoff preview before we go today. Who are the guys that like have really stood out to you um, as far as like, OK, we know Dame Lillard and Luca and all these guys and Giannis are putting up video game numbers. But who else be- beside those stars or even is it one of the stars that's impressed you even more than normal so far?
0: Michael Porter Jr., I think, is a big one. Um, and I know, you it, like, I stole your thunder because I know you wanted right to now. drop that. But, like, look, it can't be ignored how well he's played. Um, and this was a discussion even during the season. He showed flashes during the regular season, like, no doubt. He was already been a good player. He's taken it to another level with some of the performances he's had so far in the bubble. I think even today he dropped, uh, I don't know what his final stat was. 20, 27 or something. 27, losing 14. effort. But, like, Denver was always one of those teams that was... They're always in that two seed, three seed, but they never felt threatening. Yep. And I still don't think they're going to threaten this year. But Porter adds a whole other element and dimension to their offense. Because yeah. one of the biggest challenges they had going into the playoffs every year was that late game offense was a disaster. You had Jamal Murray um, heaving shots towards the end. And Jokic is not like as good as he is in the flow of a game. Like At the end of a game, it's hard to... You can't just dump team. it into him like you couldn't beat no, and hope he's, for he's not a offenses. classic post-up player, although he has a post-up game. So the Michael Porter Jr., the, the kind of like he fits so perfectly with that team that if he continues to be this good for the next couple of years, and um like they could be really scary. So I think he's definitely been the most surprising player for me. I freaking love Michael Porter Jr. I've been
1: screaming from the rooftops that Denver needs to play him more and Maybe by virtue of, uh, you know, just the fact that there's a lot of guys hurt and by virtue of the fact that, you know, their seed is somewhat locked in that three role. Uh, obviously, it can shift a little bit. I think they're only a game or two above over Houston, but generally it's going to stick around there. Um, he's gotten his chance. And look, he's still a mess defensively. Right. So that's going to be the next step for him. But offensively, uh, he, like you said, totally changed the tra- trajectory of this team. Um, they go from a very one dimensional late game offense to, to actually having that pure isolation score. Yep, And he still has his leg concerns. Like, I don't know if you've seen him, but he wears this like incredibly big, like yeah. brace because he has like a leg yeah. drop and I'm like, looks that's, really funny. that's not great for your <laughs> potential second franchise player, but, uh, he is the best, uh, anti-vaxxer in the NBA right now, um, that we know of. <laughs> And I don't even has, want to get into that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. This is, it's population control, dude. Like read a book. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think M- MPJ has been awesome. You know, I talked about Gary Trent. I want to give a quick shout out. And he already got some shine last year. Uh, but Fred Van Bleet. Oh, dude, he's been amazing. I mean, it's gone from like, oh, this is actually a really great spark plug off the bench, which is kind of what he was in the playoffs last year to like. This guy could be the lead guard on a really good title team. Um, he's going to get paid this summer. I
0: yeah. don't
1: know that it can be by Toronto because they already have Lowry locked in for thirty-three million.
0: Yeah, you know, they,
1: they can start them both. Siakam's max kicks in, but they do get Ibaka and Gasol off the books. I could see someone like the Knicks kind of throwing a grandfather offer at him and just kind of oh, hoping. It seems hey. like such a nick, like building the team around Van Vliet. Yeah, yeah it and seems that like that a won't Knicks out. But he's 26. Like he's not, you know, it's not like he he was a four year starter I think at Wichita State. But it's not like he's super old. And dude, he's unbelievable defensively. Uh, he can score. He can shoot. Um, he's taking guys to the rack. Uh, that Toronto team has a different star every night, whether it's Lowry yeah. or Siakam or whoever. But Van Vleet is like even when everyone's clicking, he looks like their best player on a lot of nights. And that team is prime for another deep run
0: he does man Yeah, they've been they've been so impressive so i think he's one um before we get to your next question i do want to talk about or real quick in terms of the flip side zion i'm kind of worried about he's looked good he scored i mean in terms of the numbers and his efficiency he's been fine 20 points here and there i'm starting to worry because um obviously the minutes restrictions are placing and which is a little bizarre given that there was no you know, injury right it's off. just because he's he no quarantining um, he's he's carrying around a lot of weight, and it's actually working for him because he's, um, you know, he's scoring from the post. He's not high, as high flying as he was earlier in the season, um, but it's not great for not even being out of your rookie year. But it's, it's not—you don't want to be at that weight, right? Like, I don't think he can sustain that weight for his career and be like a multi All-Star Hall of Fame type guy. Um, I'm—I don't know what's going on. It's but I, I'm kind of worried that his, he's going to get injured or his like, he's going to have to do something drastic because obviously he had four months to change his diet, to get into shape. He didn't. I don't know if, like, from all accounts, he's a motivated, like, guy who cares really, you know, um, and, passionate and about the, the game the and all that. So I don't, ch- I don't know what's up with with why he can't get in shape, why he's looking like this. And I'm starting to feel like, I don't know, I'm getting kind of bad vibes.
1: And like they just posted that picture of him in the Pelicans facility, like just a few weeks before the bubble where he looked in sick shape. Yeah. And, you know, guys on the Pelicans were talking about that, too. So I don't know if it's like, you know, maybe just camera angles, camera playing tricks, or if it was really a matter of he somehow the last month, you know, the all you can eat buffets, et cetera, like in the bubble has like taken him off his his game. And like, yeah, like you said yesterday, I think he was like at one point like eight of eight. For 25, something you know, some prime amazing efficiency, yep. and then I watch him run, and it looks like he's just gonna topple over if he starts running yeah. too fast. And he's and just like kind of like waddling around. It's like, I'm not even trying to fat shame the guy, it's it's really weird and bizarre to see him be so productive and also look so incredibly out of shape.
0: And, and dude, and like watching him backpedal, like on backpedal on to D de- in defense, like he looks. I don't know, it's so slow. And it's the kind of thing that in a postseason game- You get instantly exposed. He's gonna get play off the floor, right? Yeah. Like, I I don't know. So I don't know, I mean, he's he's a rookie. So it's like, I'm not saying that his career is over. I just think they need to, it's just a little bizarre to me that he's still carrying around so much weight. When everyone knows that's not the way he should be playing. And it should be noted, like, a big part of their challenges
1: right now, defensively, also come when he's on the floor, right? um he can't stay in front of anybody he's late on switches he's he struggles against in the pick and roll obviously when he has to like jump out onto a guard and uh, look like you said it's his first year this team wasn't supposed to win the title this year but moving forward uh, not just for the management of his knees which already seem like they could be giving him some long-term problem but in terms of like getting the most out of him like They shouldn't be talking burst restriction in year one of his career. Yeah. Like, we should be ready to go. After four months of no basketball. Like, you should be able to play 35 minutes a game. Um, I'm not saying you got to be John Morant, but, you know, I would expect him to be able to be out there just as long as any big. Like, if Jokic can play, you know, Zion can play. Yep.
0: All right, man. Well, uh, a lot more action to come. I think we got one more week of games, right? We're pretty much at the halfway point. Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the – I mean, by the time we record this pod, we'll pretty much have the playoff standings uh, final. And I think we'll get a better read on some of these. We haven't talked about the top teams that as much. you know. Yep. Like Houston's been interesting. Um, the Lakers have struggled, like you said. The Clippers have looked a little kind of on and off. So uh, I think next week we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. But um, any final thoughts before uh, we wrap up? No, it's been
1: awesome. I just – if anybody understands what the – buffering situation is between the virtual fans <laughs> and the live action you know please just call my cell directly don't even worry about thick and thin hoops just email just call me and text me directly
0: and tell me because it's driving me insane it's that and how they get the stitching done on these jerseys so quickly that's keeping you up at night yeah. i'm glad <laughs> yeah. that these are the, the problems that you're thinking about um but all right man this was fun uh for everyone listening send us questions thick and thin hoops at gmail.com